progress, growth, change, maturity. These words might fill us with energy, or they might fill us with cynicism. Is progress in our spiritual lives even possible? And if so, how do we measure it? How can we see and celebrate growth in ourselves? How can we pursue progress in a way that really lasts? Maybe it's time to look at these ideas through new eyes. Eyes that see both our innate belovedness and the possibilities in our becoming. Maybe it's time to see some progress. so good to see every single face here this morning and to gather with you today to finish our series on progress. I am Melody. I'm one of your pastors and today is going to be a beautiful day. I'm so glad we have our kids here with us. If you guys didn't get a special handout for today's message, make sure to grab one because I'd love to see all those filled out at the end. We've got Shannon hard at work back there because I don't have two arms, so I can't use a whiteboard yet. So it's all up to Shannon today, but we're going to make it through. All right, so I'm really excited to finish off this series today and to celebrate the progress that we've already made, right? We've already made progress in this year 2020. We are already one month in. And I think kids, you guys have made some progress at school already, right? You've worked hard on your assignments and your projects that have already come this year. And we've made progress with our jobs, with our work. We've cast a vision for what 2020 could be in our work. And then we've taken the steps towards that vision, right? We all have made progress already. And we've made progress in our church. We have our whole 2020 calendar planned out and we're taking steps towards enacting all of those things, right? And we've made progress in our spiritual lives too. We have. Even if it doesn't feel like it in this moment, we have, okay? Let's remember how Pastor Benjamin defined this sort of progress. He said, progress is the measurable growth that occurs as we become our truest selves in Jesus. That's the kind of progress that we're talking about with this series, becoming our truest selves in Jesus, becoming the people that he created us to be and becoming the people that we are when he's fully alive in us, right? So just engaging in this sort of thinking is already progress, right? Just coming and participating in these gatherings and listening to the teaching and engaging it, that's already a measurable step of progress right there. But I think we've done more than just think. I think I've seen Jesus working in you as you've engaged it. I've seen him working in me as I've engaged it. And I've seen the evidence of our becoming. And I'm excited to see what more progress we make this year. So speaking of progress, I have made some on my broken arm. People, you shall note that I am not in my sling today. It's very exciting. I was not expecting this to be a thing I would need to make progress on, but nevertheless, here we are. And I cannot tell you how excited I was this week when I went into the doctor's office and he took the next x-ray and he said, you can start taking it out of your sling and start taking out of your splint at home and start moving it around and trying to like straighten it. So I started asking him, all the list of things that I have been waiting to do for these weeks that I couldn't do them, right? So I was like, this is so great. Can I start running again? Can I like reach up and touch my face? Can I, like I had this whole long list of things that I was asking him if I could do. 
the number one thing on my list, which I have not yet been able to accomplish, the number one thing on my list is I really, really would love to be able to put my hair back in ponytail. I haven't been able to do it this whole entire time. And Chris is a very helpful person, but this is not his specialty <laughs> to put hair up. So yes, Bren Brenna can do it. Brenna is my go-to if I have to have it up. But like I've been washing my face by like leaning my hair over the sink and like what? Because I can't put I can't put my hair up. So that was my um my number one ask. Like how soon can I like reach it that far? And I was asking him all these things, and he was like, "All right, all right, yes, you can do all those things, but promise me you won't try and do them all in one day." And I was like, all right, we carried on the conversation, whatever, whatever. But as I left, I started thinking about that. And I was like, that's how we want progress to be, right? Well, great, it's working again, so let's just get it all done. I want to do all the things. Can I do them now? And he was like, you can do them, but don't do it all in one day. And that's real lasting progress, right? In the little by little. And I think in all the metaphors in this series, we've talked about that sort of understanding of progress in the little by little, that every step is growth, that every step matters, that every step is progress. Even if all you can do is bend your arm one more degree towards your face, still progress, right? In the little by little. So in this series, we've talked about several metaphors for progress, and we're going to revisit them this morning before we talk about our last metaphor. So the first one we talked about was called the coil. And in the coil, we learned that every step along the way is growth. And even when it feels like the same challenges are circling back around again, the same inconsistencies in ourselves or in the world, and we feel like, I've already fought this battle, the reality is that we're moving up a coil, right? And so every step up that coil is progress. And then we talked about the cave, the cave. And we learned that the progress of the cave is about coming out of the cave, right? The caves are those times when all is lost, all is dark, and we're alone and we're afraid. That's the cave place, right? And so we learned progress is coming out of that, but really the progress of the cave is about who we become in the cave, right? It's about the transformation that happens in those dark places. And then last week we talked about the clay. And we talked about we make progress as the clay when we stop trying and start allowing the potter to do his work in us, right? When we stop trying to force the progress and allow the spirit of Jesus in us to come more and more alive. That's the progress that we're looking for anyway, right? So today we get to talk about the race. And sometimes in order to make progress, in this world, in this life, we have to fight for it, right? We have to fight for our progress. We, we work, we grow, we race, we sacrifice, we win, we rally, we conquer, right? Sometimes we have to make that kind of progress, right? And I think we know that. I think we know sometimes we just have to run. Like sometimes we have to shift our energy towards the thing that we're working towards so that we can move towards it. But how do we do that? while maintaining the understanding of all these different metaphors? How do we do that while maintaining the posture of trust and surrender and allowing God to do his work in us, right? Because one thing we want to clarify, these metaphors aren't different experiences of progress. They're really all the same thing. 
they're really all different ways of looking at the same sort of growth, right? And they, they exemplify different seasons, but it's all the same story. It's all the same progress. So they all work together. So how do, how do we fit the race into this understanding? Now I know what you're thinking. Oh good, here's Melody with another sermon about running. This is gonna be so great. I know you're all excited, but you know what? Stick with me, okay? I might have a running story or two that you don't know. But actually, actually, this message is gonna be a whole lot less about running than you might think. In fact, this message is a whole lot less about running than I thought when I decided to write it. Because the more I got to reading the scripture and praying, and thinking and writing, the more I realized that the spiritual race is quite different from a physical one. It's quite different. So if you want to hear me give a pep talk about like rallying and conquering and, and running the race, like I give those at business conferences all the time. That's great because in this world, yeah, we got to do that. We got to do that for like the physical things that we want to achieve. But today we're talking about spiritual progress, the progress of our becoming like Jesus. And that is a different sort of race altogether. So let's look at this last metaphor. On first glance, it might seem like the progress of the race stands in kind of opposition to the progress of the, of the clay that we talked about last week, or maybe even all of them. But especially the one of the clay, right? Because with the clay, we're supposed to stop trying and start allowing Jesus to come alive in us. So then what, how does this race figure in, right? Not, it kind of seems like the opposite of allowing. Because in a race or a fight, you try. You expend all of your effort and all of your energy. You sacrifice, you persevere, right? But this kind of a race isn't the same. Because, see, our human selves can't run the race that we're invited to run towards our spiritual progress. We actually are not capable of running that race at all on our own. Because it takes the power and energy of Christ in us. It's not our power and energy running towards the goal. It's literally him. That is the goal, is to allow him to do that, right? So we're going to read this passage in Hebrews because it's going to help us unpack this understanding. Starting in Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Then skipping down to verse 7, it says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we ha have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father, uh, the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. 
and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Now, I know this is the go-to passage about the race, right? And in fact, I almost didn't want to use this passage because it felt too obvious, or it's like the cliche when you talk about the race, this is the one. But the more I read it, the more I knew we had to start here because this passage is more than an exhortation to run the race. This this passage is really painting a picture of what that race is and what that running really looks like, okay? So let's think about it then. If we're looking at this passage, what does the progress of the race actually look like? We're going to put them all up first and then we're going to unpack them. Here's what I think we can pull out of this passage. The progress of the race looks like setting down immature behaviors, fixing our eyes on Jesus, building endurance, embracing discipline, level ground, and healing. Now, kids, don't worry. We're going to circle back to all those. So if you didn't get them on that pass, you'll get another time. So let's unpack these things. First one, the progress of the race looks like setting down immature behaviors. Right? It says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. We have to lay aside our weight and our sin, right? We can't make true progress in the race if we're not willing to lay aside the the things that stand in the way of our becoming, right? Now, this could be a whole message. This could be a whole series about what it looks like to lay those things down because it first involves identifying the burdens and the sin that slow us down, and then it involves surrendering them. And then involves surrendering them again and again and again and again every day, right? But one thing to notice is that this passage does not say lay aside every sin because that's the weight that you're carrying. It says lay aside every weight and sin, right? That means that sin isn't the only thing that weighs us down in our becoming like Jesus, is it? Fears, shame, damaging relationships, counterfeit gods, the places that we go to fill that void, to find that union that we're longing for with our creator, that stuff all slows us down just as well as the sin does. So here's a question for us to think about today in this brief talk about this one. What weight is holding us back from persevering in the race? Or maybe another way to ask it, what thing are we carrying that makes us look less like Jesus instead of more like Jesus? What thing are we carrying that makes us look less like Jesus instead of more like Jesus? And what would it feel like to put that down? What would it feel like to put that thing down? Because as we put down those old behaviors, that's progress, right? Secondly, the progress of the race looks like fixing our eyes on Jesus, right? This version says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Because when we truly see Jesus, how he lived, how he he died, why he came, who he was, it changes our perspective. And it reminds us of the whole point of why we are seeking to become like him, right? We have to do this or we won't get very far. You know, when I picture my racing metaphor, when I, when I hear this verse, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, 
I don't picture Jesus standing at the finish line, cheering me on, calling me home. I don't picture him there in the grandstands at the end of the race. Because this passage says that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Meaning he was there at the beginning of our faith story and he'll be there at the end of it. Which means he's not standing in the grandstands at the end of the race. He's running alongside of us. That's how I picture Jesus when I think of the race, right? I picture him at my side, speaking life into my ear when I'm surrounded by death, speaking light when I'm surrounded by, by darkness, picking me up when I fall, bandaging my wounds. That's the Jesus I picture along the race. Now back at Circle A, we used to run every morning with the children. And the counselors would run with the campers because that was just a really good way. Like, you wouldn't want to ask children to go run early in the morning without, like, a good example. So the counselors would run with them. And, you know, some of the counselors were more fit than others. So at, at that point in my life, I was not a runner. I was not of the fit variety. So I would usually take the back of the group, you know, and run along with the ones that didn't like to run so much. And, I mean, we're talking, like, a half-mile a run here. It was not, like, long distances. So... I would run at the back. And it was really funny the amount of energy that one would have to expend running at the back of the line because, you know, either those kids were really like it was really hard to run or they just really didn't want to, right? <laughs> and usually, I mean, there were always some of both. Frequently, I got the ones that just really didn't want to. So they're walking. They're walking at their walking pace at the end of the line. But the counselors would always, like, bring energy to the running. So that, as a counselor we'd like be running at the walking pace. So it was like the most energetic run you could do because it was the slowest run you could possibly do. Swinging your arms and being all energetic and excited, trying to cheer these kids on for the, for the running. Now, I have a specific memory of this one kid that really didn't want to ever run. He was really grumpy about it. And I would take the back and run with him most days. But here's the thing, he was a super athletic kid. He was very capable of running very well, but he just wouldn't. So we'd run, walk, you know, sort of do this half-mile situation. But what happens at the end of the race is that all the campers get together and they form like a tunnel and they're cheering you on as you come in, you know. So it's like sprint for the last bit because then you get the cheering and that's exciting. It's an exciting finish to your morning run. Well, <laughs> this kid, he would walk the whole time. And then when we would come around the corner to be seen by the group of campers who are waiting there to cheer us on, this kid would take off, sprinting so fast to the finish. And I, in my non-sprinting state, would like not be able to catch up. So basically it turned out that he would like finish and I would be like the last one running in for all the campers to wait on because I couldn't keep up with him, right? I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Anyways, this whole story is to basically tell you that's not how Jesus <laughs> runs along with us, right? Hopefully, we do not try and out-sprint the Lord. That would be unwise. But <laughs> it is the picture that I think of, not for that story, but for all the times when there was that counselor, when I was the camper, and there was that counselor running with me, and I was trying, and I was giving my best, and it was still real slow and real out of breath, and that counselor was there to cheer me on. That's a little bit how I picture Jesus running with us, right? So as we see, 
Jesus, as we fix our eyes on him, not at the end, but right at our side, running with us, that's progress. Number three, the progress of the race looks like building endurance. It says, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. These seasons, when we tap into the strength and energy of Christ in us, and so we fight and we run this race, and we speak truth, and we stand firm, and we face fear, right? That builds endurance in us, such endurance. The more we run, the more we face these hard situations, the more we persevere through them, the more we want to run. The more we're not afraid of these hard situations, the more we want that space to persevere, right? Now, this one is pretty similar to physical running. I can tell you. There was a time in my life, like I said, where that half-mile run was like, that's the best I got. Like, I I can't really imagine running a whole mile. Like, I can do a half maybe walking most of the time, right? And then there was a time in my life where four miles seemed like, if I can run around this block, is a four-mile run, like, that is amazing. Like, that's the best I'll ever do, but I'm pretty proud of myself for those four miles, right? And then there was the time when the half marathon was the pinnacle of distance that I could ever cover. And then there was a marathon, right? And now the half marathon seems simple. And there are ultra marathoners out there. I will certainly never do that. But for them, a marathon is nothing, right? All of that work and all of that training and all of that time builds endurance, right? And now when I have to do short four or five, six mile runs, they genuinely seem like nothing. They genuinely seem like nothing. Like almost... Is, I mean, that's, I mean, I'll do it because it's in my training, but like, is it even worth doing? It's only four miles. That's how you start to feel, right? It's the same thing with our spiritual growth. It's the same thing. There are fears that right now might really terrify us, might really stop us, might really be a wall that we don't imagine we could pass through. But as we continue in this race, there comes a point in time where those fears literally feel like nothing. Like, they're, they're literally not even a barrier anymore. That's the endurance that builds when we persevere, when we allow that energy of Christ to come alive in us and walk through those walls of fear, right? Or those sins that used to tempt us so much, that we used to struggle so much with, that brought shame on us, right? There comes a point where it's not even a temptation. We're free of those things, right? That's the endurance. That's the gift of the race. That is an amazing part of racing is that we build endurance. It makes us strong. It makes us strong. And it's not just strength. It's something more than strength, right? Because the passage says, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Now, on a physical run, you can't do that. When when your knees are done, they're done. You can't just decide to strengthen them, right? When we're in a physical race, we weary and we tire. There's a certain distance where we can run and the adrenaline carries us on and the endorphins carry us on and we get that runner's high and we're going. But at some point, every single runner hits a wall. If you run far enough, you will hit a wall. That's how physical running is. And frankly, that's how you win. Like that's how you win the race is you expend a little bit more energy than anybody else. That's how you win, right? But that's not how we win this race of progress, of becoming our true selves in Jesus, of allowing Jesus to truly live in us fully, right? The whole point is to build and renew and lift our drooping hands and strengthen our weak knees. 
And that we can't do for ourselves. That's the allowing of Christ in us. So as we become more filled with endurance, less afraid, stronger, that's progress. Number next, progress of the race looks like embracing discipline. All right, this is an interesting one. Frankly, this is the most important one. If you miss everything I said so far, it's okay. Just catch this and you will have something to go on today, okay? Discipline is essential to understanding this spiritual race. Now, when you first read this passage, it seems like this long piece about discipline feels a little bit out of place. Like Paul's being all poetic and inspiring and you're going to the finish line looking at Jesus and we're going to finish so beautifully. And then discipline, well, for a long time, he talks about discipline, right? And it's not self-discipline, like you know how you're supposed to have in a race, you self-discipline yourself to carry on. No, it's discipline from the Father God. That's what he's talking about, right? So what's up with that? Let's think about it. This is the line that really puts it in perspective. This is what he says. It is for discipline that you have to endure. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Wait, what? What is he saying there? We're in this race to be disciplined? Like, is that the purpose of the race? It is for discipline that you have to endure? Aren't we enduring this race so we can get our eternal reward? Like, isn't that the point of the race? What about what's this discipline? Let's look a little closer. Here's the word. The word is paideia. Paideia. And it means the rearing of a child, training, or discipline. The definition says discipline, training and education of children, hence instruction, chastisement, correction. Properly, instruction that trains someone to reach full development, maturity. Instruction which aims at the increase of virtue. We ought to look at this whole picture, right? This passage is not a separate commentary about running a race and then being disciplined. The point is that the race is the discipline. The race is the discipline. If the purpose of progress is to become our truest selves in Christ, in God, to become like our Father, then what he's saying is the discipline of the Father is what makes us more like him, right? Instruction that trains us to reach our full development and maturity. The discipline of God is the race that we run with the aim of becoming our truest selves. The race is not about what we do for God, how many souls we convert or good deeds that we do. It's not about any sort of earthly achievement. It's about what God does in us. Purely and simply, the race, the spiritual race, is about what God does in us. And it goes on to say, he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. This discipline that the author is talking about, the definition of the word has nothing to do with punishment. It has nothing to do with retribution or forced allegiance. It's about God using the circumstances and consequences of our lives to teach us how to look like him. Did you catch that? God's discipline uses the circumstances and consequences of our lives to teach us how to look like him. I've joked about how this broken arm came from God. And if you know the story, it could be argued. But I know that's not true, right? God did not 
arranged a series of events that left me with a broken arm. That's not how he does things. But what God did is teach me how to see this broken arm as a gift. And that's the discipline of the Father, right? He doesn't cause the pain in our lives. He allows the natural consequences of living to play out. And then, if we're paying attention, if we're paying attention, he speaks in the midst of those circumstances, in the midst of those consequences, with correction and guidance and instruction and training. Paidaya, right? So that we can carry on in this race of, of looking more like him, of becoming more like him. He speaks to me through this arm every day. And sometimes it, it does feel like discipline, right? Redirection, correction. I needed to make some changes in my life. And this is a good, tangible reminder of that truth, right? So what about you? The question is, what circumstance in your life right now feels like it could be punishment? What circumstance in your life right now feels like it could be punishment? And what if, Instead, we chose to look at it like this, paidaya, the discipline of God. If we do that, we will be farther down this track of running this race. And if we embrace discipline, that is progress. Next one, the progress of the race looks like level ground. It is easier to run on level ground, right? Running uphill is a lot more of an expenditure of energy and running downhill is just dangerous and can be very painful. So if you know me at all, one of my favorite pictures of what freedom in Christ looks like are the wide open spaces, right? The wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, the clear and level pasture land. Isaiah puts it like this, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And here's what's happening when we run this race, the ground levels. And partly why the ground levels is our own doing, actually. It's our own choices. The passage says, make straight paths for your feet. The passage is urging us to choose the straight paths for our feet, right? So can we participate in leveling our own ground? Yeah, I think we can. I think we can. I think that looks like wise choices, I think it looks like healthy battles. I think it looks like running right next to Jesus himself, right? I think it looks like running towards love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I think we can find those straight paths, and I think we can choose to run there, right? And running away from pride and anger and jealousy and bitterness. Many times we can choose the level paths, right? And the longer we're at this, the more mature and capable we become of seeing them and choosing them, right? That's a part of the maturity process, is learning how to recognize what the level path ahead is, right? But the other part, besides the choosing, is the trusting. The trusting that if we make a wrong choice, this God makes the mountains low and raises the valleys up. Trusting that if there are paths that there is no level place to pass, if we're just going through a valley or climbing up a mountain, trusting that he is still the leveler of our ground, right? So it looks like choice and it looks like trust. And as we choose and trust the level ground, that is progress. 
And then the last one, the progress of the race looks like healing. It looks like healing. This is my favorite part of the passage. What is lame may not be put out of joint, but healed. This is what we are running towards in this race. Not injury, not exhaustion, not fatigue, but healing. Healing. Becoming our whole selves in Christ, the truest version of who we are, means healing. It means healing of our wounds. It means healing of our shame. It means healing of our hearts and our minds and our bodies. It means healing from abuse and trauma and neglect. It means healing from all those times where we pushed ourselves so hard so that we could be good enough. It means healing from those times, right? It means healing from the false narratives that we've bought into and from the attacks of the enemy. It means healing. In a physical race, we run towards exhaustion. In this race, we're running towards wholeness, towards healing, towards shalom. All things mended. That's the race that we're invited to run, right? That's the progress that matters most in the world. As we look for and celebrate our healing, that's progress. That's progress. So we're already in this race. You're already running. The question is, are we running towards the person that we're created to be? Towards the person who most fully expresses Christ in us or away? from that person, because that's a choice every day, right? Near the end of his ministry, Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, and he wrote these words. You should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. I, everything in me longs to be able to say those words, right? That would be the pinnacle of, of what a human life could be, is to be able to say those words. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race, and I have remained faithful. So let's put that list of progress back up on the screen one more time. What does that look like? What does it look like to be able to say that at the end of our lives? I fought a good fight. I finished the race and I have remained faithful. It looks like setting down immature behaviors. It looks like fixing our eyes on Jesus. Like building endurance. Like embracing discipline. Like level ground. And like healing. So that's what we're invited to do today, right? Set down those immature behaviors those immature ways of seeing and experiencing the world, realizing that Jesus isn't standing at the end but is running right along with us, noticing, seeing, celebrating the strength and endurance that grows in us every time we face a battle, every time we run a sprint, right? 
and embracing discipline, paying attention to the voice that speaks in our circumstances and our consequences, and listening for what God may be teaching us about how to look like him in that problem, in that circumstance, right? Looking for the level places, running on the straight paths, and healing, healing. So the band can come up. We're going to think about, or we're going to sing one last song. But let's remember, we are already running the race. The question is if we're running towards the person we're created to be or away from that person. And let's think about these metaphors one more time because like we said, they're all telling the same story. As the story of our becoming, the story of our becoming more and more like Jesus. We're running this race toward wholeness, towards healing, but it's not our own strength. It's Christ in us that drives us because we're clay. And the more we allow that strength in us, that life in us to do its work, the faster and more free we become. And caves are a part of the race. They are, right? It's not about avoiding the caves. We're all going to go into them. And we're all going to come out of them. And the question is what transformation is done or in them. And we're all racing up the coil, circling through the story of our life in the one true narrative of redemption. And yep, we're going to feel patterns that feel familiar, feel repetitive, but that is the progress of the coil. That is true progress because we engage them as a different person every time, right? So, guys, let's run. Let's run this race. So we can say, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I remained faithful. We pray. God, I thank you for this invitation this morning. I thank you for this truth, this teaching that you've given us today. And I pray that you would allow it to sink in. Whatever piece that we needed to hear today, whether it was the whole big picture or whether it was one little thing that can change or enhance our understanding of how it is that we're supposed to make progress in this world. God, I pray that you would speak. That my words would not be the ones we remember from today, but that it would be your spirit, your presence, alive in us, running with us. God, may we feel you in this moment and as we leave. May we notice your presence. May we embrace it. May we fix our eyes on you. And may we become like you. In your name we pray.